Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. All right, our scripture reading today is uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So, you too should be glad and rejoice with me. feel like a bigger failure at that point. I just couldn't recover who I was. So alone. Didn't last long. I ended up in another relationship. We ended up having a child together. We got married. And uh, I married him because I didn't want to be alone. And I felt like, okay, this will be right. He married me because of money. I was cheated on off and on for three and a half years. First time I found out he cheated on me, I'm like, well, you know, I deserve it. <laughs> I'm paying for it. He cheated on me while I was pregnant, disrespected. Never had I been talked to the way he talked to me. Treated like trash. It was the worst time of my life. You can see where someone that just wants that love and appreciation was getting further and further away from from what she wanted. <clears throat> Starting to believe the lies that I deserve that and that God's punishing me. The things that can be said can cut you very, very deeply and can change who you believe you think you are. 
I just continued to put up with it. No way could I get divorced again. I mean, how old am I? And I've been divorced a handful of times, really. It was terrible. And it really, it really pushed me. God took me to a place that I'd never been before. And he showed me that in that time where I felt more alone than ever, more of a piece of trash than ever, more of a failure, that he was there and he was ready to love me and fill that void. And he'd been there all along wanting that, but he just needed me to let go of that tangible person. It was my dad first, then it was the next guy. The next guy, I was never willing to just let go to see that God had something better. I was forced to at this time because this was something I couldn't change. This was someone that was throwing me to the curb. I was divorced again and uh, knew it was time to take time away. That time alone was some of my greatest memories with God. It was an alone that was okay because I wasn't completely alone. I had the Jesus that walked on water, healed the sick. I had that Jesus filling that void, touching my heart, pouring into who I'm called to be and who He sees me as rather than who I believed I was because of the things I'd done. I really valued the love and good times I had with my dad, but even that can't compare completely to the love that God has for me. It's like, you know, you're a little kid riding your bike for the first time, your dad's proud and he's cheering you on, and it's like he helped me learn how to ride that bike, and, and God got me back up after all of these failures, and he can lift me up and see me go forward and I know that he can be glorified and riding a bike and a proud dad versus creator of the universe being able to use you is like Lindsay Snyder, and I am second. I want to take a left-hand turn for a moment before we talk about what we just saw. Uh, Pastor Blake and Pastor Kaylee are not with us this morning. Uh, they, They had some vacation time uh, last week, and as you know, uh, little baby Lucy, the addition to their family that uh, so wonderfully complicates life for for parents. Um, Blake and Kaylee were were doing one of those parental firsts. They were leaving the child with grandma and grandpa for time away. So all the moms in the crowd, you know what they've been feeling, right? Well... Um, Kaylee's mom recently found out that she has cancer 
and every form of cancer is more aggressive than we want it to be. But uh, she has started treatments and uh, was, was feeling really excited about time with, with Lucy. And uh, her husband, Mike, is a youth pastor who uh, this week had to leave for teen camp on their district, the Oregon Pacific District. And so that gave Grandma all that precious time with little Lucy. But all of a sudden, all of the sickness that comes typically with cancer treatments just um, arrived like a freight train. And she was supposed to to drive and bring Lucy this direction so that uh, Blake and Kaylee and Lucy could be with us this morning, but found herself so sick she could could hardly take care of herself, let alone the child. So Blake and Kaylee have gone over to Roseburg, Oregon to uh, check on mom and to pick up baby Lucy. And I think it would be fitting and good if we would just pray for them right now. Lord, on on any given Sunday, we don't have our whole church family here. On any given Sunday in the summer, we have half of our church family here. And usually because of things that we experience as good and ah, restful and fun, camping and boating and going to see family. And, and, and for those reasons, we usually just, just smile and bless our friends as they walk out the door of the church, knowing we'll see them in a couple of weeks and we'll be able to hear the great stories and, and see that restful smile on their faces. But um, that's not how Blake and Kaylee are experiencing life today on the heels of their vacation. Kaylee's mom, Dawn, is not basking in the glow of the first week of just her and baby Lucy with all the the dreams and hopes of of summers to come when that little one will come and stay with grandma and grandpa. And, And she's in a fight for her life today. We want to wade in with her. We want to contend for Dawn and Mike, for Blake and Kaylee and Lucy, We want to stand alongside them and ask, Father, please, is there any way to fit healing for Dawn into your incredibly vast and intricate plan for the ages? Surely there's a way this day for you to get that family home to us safely. Surely there's a way for you to provide strength and encouragement for Blake and Kaylee. We, we count on that and, and ask with an of course because you've promised and delivered those things so many times. But when we hear the word cancer, our breath catches in our throats and we begin to wonder, Lord, did It is with both faith and somewhat fearful hearts today. And we ask for your grace and your mercy in the form of healing and strength for dawn today. We ask these things in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Those of you who have walked the cancer journey with members of your family know how to minister to Blake and Kaylee at this time. Kaylee's an only child. She and her mama are very, very close. And uh, and I know that Kaylee's heart is very heavy, 
Blake, um, I'm just going to share this. Blake texted me and said, Kaylee's having a harder time than she's letting on. Okay? So let's, uh, let's, let's take those extra steps over the course of, the, of however long it takes, over the course of the course, okay, to get our arms around those folks. All right. Well, it is summertime, so that seat you've been saving next to you um, may be there for a few weeks. And do you know what, that, what, what kind of opportunity that makes? It makes an opportunity for you to talk with your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and say, you know, um, you have plans for almost every uh, weekend during the summer. Why don't you plan one of those Sundays to, to come to church with me Start your day worshiping with us and, and having lunch afterwards. And as you can see, um, there's, there's enough seating that they don't have to come and sit in the embarrassing spot on the front row. They can sit with you and your family and friends. So shake your heads like this if you do that when you get the chance. All right, good. We watched a video a few moments ago, and it's one of the I Am Second videos that this congregation is very familiar with because we've, we've seen a number of those and we've heard a number of our people give their I Am Second stories. Those of us who, who grew up in the Church of the Nazarene may struggle with the I Am Second thing a little bit because we learned Sunday school songs that said Jesus first, others second, and you third. But um, we... We, we can work with this, right? With people putting God first in their lives and just assuming I am second means that. Let them work out the details of relationship. But Lindsay Snyder told us the story of, of how her life just completely fell apart. It's a much longer story. I cut it down so I didn't, I didn't tell you or didn't allow her to tell you the story of, of her powerful, wealthy family and how it just completely crumbled. But uh, anybody, anybody know the Snyders? Anybody know Lindsay Snyder? Lindsay Snyder is the owner and chief executive officer of In-N-Out Burgers. So those of you who are big fans of the In-N-Out chain, that's, uh, that's the United States' youngest billionaire right there on the screen. Hmm. Just... Just feel that for a minute. If money could fix it, she'd have all the money to fix it 10 times and has since she was this big. But she tells a story of a life that came apart, a life in which she suffered incredible pain, in which she made mistakes that everybody around her could point at and go, well, of course, and for which everyone could blame her or say, well, you know, this heartache, you're just getting what you deserve. God help us if we ever say to another human being, you're just getting what you deserve when they suffer. Hands of all the people who hope to get what they deserve in this life. Okay, so compassion for the people of God uh, toward the people who suffer even by their own mistakes. Give me an amen. All right, good. We're working our way through the, the book of Philippians and today we're going to talk, I'm going to, I'm going to just steal Lindsay's family's logo. I'm going to borrow that for a little bit. I don't think they would mind because they borrow Bible verses from my Bible and print them on the bottom of their, their uh, soda cups and on the, the wrappers. So I didn't check with them. And oh no, I'm doing this live on Facebook. <laughs> Jeremy, I may need some help after this, okay? Um, hmm. Working our way through, quickly, through Philippians, uh, we, we arrive uh, in, in chapter 2, I guess we're going to work in chapter 2 mostly, and then a little bit in chapter 3 later on today. Um, we're going to talk about 
transformation teamwork. You saw that on the screen, and as, as Ed read to us earlier, you heard him read a description of a model Christian life. Now, I don't know if you remember it, but l- listen to these, these few verses. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, always obeyed. Okay, the hands of all the people who've always obeyed. All right, uh, me either. And Paul says, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And now he describes this life that God is working out in us. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Okay, hands of all the people who have not complained in the last month. Maybe a few who haven't argued. Anybody who hasn't argued in the... They're all so humble that they don't want to admit it. I think that's probably what's happening here. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault. In, uh, without fault, where am I? In a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. That's a pretty incredible description, isn't it, of the Christian life? Here's, here's these big, powerful words. Everything without complaining. Everything without arguing, blameless, pure, children of God, without fault, shining like stars. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm going to ask for one more show of hands, and this one, please be totally and completely honest. Who are the people in our church who journal? Are there any journal or diary keepers? One, one, one. Okay. Well, um, the question then is for you, Kathy. When, when you're writing in your journal, do you, do you ever mention how good you are about never complaining or, or arguing and, and how you shine like the stars in the universe? No. How about the rest of us in our private thoughts as we're, as we're laying our, our heads on our pillows at night and we're checking off how the day went and we're, we're thinking about what it is that we need to talk to God about at day's end. Do you usually lay your head on your pillow and go, nope, didn't complain, I didn't argue, I was pure, I was blameless. Anybody, is this your terminology for describing yourself to God, others, or you? Huh. Me either. See, what, what Paul is describing here is either, it's one of two things. It's either make-believe, it's Paul exaggerating and, and, and talking about the Christian life in such grandiose terms that no one could ever possibly live like that, or he's painting a picture for us that we are to begin to pursue wholeheartedly. Now remember, uh, spiritual principle number one, I've, it's probably the thing that I've said to you more than anything else in the six years I've been your pastor. Spiritual principle number one is what? Say it out loud. God is not a jerk. God is not a jerk. And it's a very important principle because it undergirds so many things that we study here from week to week. And it's, it's the, the foundation under this whole thing that we're going to talk about today. Because if, 
if this comes to us in this imperative voice, if it comes to us as a command, do everything without complaining or arguing, become blameless, become pure, become like, like stars shining in the universe, holding out the light of life to the world around us. If that isn't possible and it comes to us as a command, God's a jerk. Because he's setting us up to be these, these cosmic level failures. But because we know that he's not a jerk, it enables us then to take a look at the text and to take a look at ourselves and say, here comes a possibility from God and a person of interest. Let's see how God can take those two things, the the possibilities of a godly life and a person of interest, and see how he can weave those two things together so that it might rightly, properly be said of me of you, of the people who are listening via Facebook, that we do everything without complaining or arguing, becoming blameless and pure, described as children of God without fault, and and in such stellar contrast to the rest of the world around us, the people say it's it's like that gal and that guy are holding out the light of life to us. Before we go any farther, just, I, I want you to know, here's where I stand. I look at these things that I, that I don't really often use in describing my life, and I'm telling you today that I'm comparing my life to them, and I'm going to say, instead of, oh, that's impossible, I'm going to say, God, what do you want to do about it? I'll join you in the teamwork for transformation. How about you? Let's take a look a little bit further in the passage and see what he has to say to us. Um, if you look at, at verse 15, that's something that probably resonates with um, the heart of this congregation. Because we want to become blameless and pure. We want to become people who, who could be described as children of God without fault and in a crooked and depraved generation. We want to become the kind of people who are noticeably different than our neighbors in such way that it gives them hope and, and begins to inspire interest in the scriptures and in the, the kind of life that we live and the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus. But... Um, I think there's something that we have worked on a bit more around here than these things. And and please understand, I don't mean this as an indictment. This is Pastor Cliff saying the attaboy and the attagirl to everybody here. There's something we've worked on more than becoming pure and blameless, and it's serving others. That's a good thing because we've defined discipleship as connecting with God, other Christ followers, and other people who don't know him yet so that we can help connect them with God. We we talk about intentionally growing in our faith so that we might become more mature and more usable by God to influence others. And we also talk about serving as the way of life. And you'll remember that over the course of this first six months of the year, um, Steve Thomas and I sat up here four or five different times, and we spent the entire sermon time talking about service. You guys engaged in a service Sunday in which you poured out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of help to the community around us. And I keep getting these emails in my box from one group in the church that's going to help somebody with this. And I, I see pictures on Facebook of wheelchair ramps that are getting built and painted. And, and I see roofs being put on houses. And I see moving 
moving vans that are loaded and unloaded. We've worked hard at becoming a people whose lives are characterized by service because we believe that service expresses the love of God in tangible ways to other people. Don't you like being the church that serves? Listen, you're getting a reputation in the community. I mentioned it last week. Um, I'm not altogether certain what a lot of church people in this community think of us, and quite frankly, I don't care. But when I talk to people that in, in this valley who are not currently involved in a church, I regularly hear from them, oh, first Naz, that's the church that helps people. It's because you all have decided over the years, long before I was your pastor, that you would work hard at the business of serving people and finding real joy and purpose in your lives in serving other people. So understand that when I say we've worked harder at serving than at being blameless and pure, it's not an attack on your character, and it's not me switching themes uh, mid-service or mid-pastorate to say, oh, we got it all wrong, we shouldn't be serving people, we've been so distracted by that. Service is the outflow of the work of God in a person's life. One of the outflows of the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. And verse 15 and the surrounding verses there talk to us about some other things that are the work of God's Holy Spirit in us. You see, while Christianity, um, when, when it's at its best, when it's at its most reputable, is seen as a people who find joy in helping other people. Serving is not the sum total of our faith. There are many things that God wants to accomplish in and through us. Serving is one of them. It's very important, but it is not the only one. Christianity is not just serving. It's also, big word, sanctification. The business of having a relationship with with God, of, of following him closely, of getting to know Jesus personally, of letting his Holy Spirit work in our lives, it produces something besides sweat. It also is to produce sanctification. Let me unpack the term for you. Done it many times. Some of you know this, but it's important enough for us to come back to it again because I think that if we, if we, I'll explain this a little later. But if we will apply ourselves, if we will work as hard at sanctification as we do at service, we are going to be a transformed people. And this valley is going to have a whole lot more to talk about than just how much we help. They're going to be attracted to the very clear and unmistakable presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. So sanctification, what's that mean? To to sanctify means to set apart for God's purposes only. Uh, If in the reading of the Old Testament, they built a tent, they built lots of tents. People lived in some of them. And in one tent, they were to worship. They weren't to do anything else, just worship, because that tent was sanctified. It was set apart for God's purposes. If you read in in the the first five books of the Bible, you'll learn about a lot of things that were sanctified. They were were made specifically for one purpose. They were to be used in the worship of God. And and because of that, they were set apart for his service. There was a whole lot of furniture that was made for that one tent in which they worshipped. And you couldn't borrow it for graduation receptions, uh, bar mitzvahs, or your backyard barbecue. Why? 
Not because what you were doing was, was evil, but because this thing is set apart for God's use only. Yeah. Sanctification, the work of God's Holy Spirit, is, is the, the continued work of, of God in our lives after we first in, um, confess our sins confess him as Lord, and invite him to, to come into our lives. It's, it's the next thing that he begins to work on after he's got our attention and our, our, our affection and our commitment. Sanctification is the process whereby God's Holy Spirit says, I dreamed you into existence and buried somewhere under the scars in your life, buried somewhere under the stains in your life, buried somewhere under the sin in your life, buried somewhere under the tears in your life, is someone who looks just like me, God, not me, Cliff. The God who, who dreamed you into existence, created you in his image, that is, to be very much like him spiritually, enough that people go, that woman has to belong to God. She looks a lot like, she's just like I imagine God to be. And sanctification is the, is the work, the continued work of God's Holy Spirit, that next step that he takes after he welcomes us into his family, whereby he begins to do a number of things. He makes us aware of remaining sin in our lives because sin always tarnishes and dims the image of God in us. Listen, but you can always know. This is an aside, but it's important. You can always know when it's the voice of God's Holy Spirit talking to you about sin versus the attack of the enemy. You want to know the difference? You will not feel ashamed when it's God talking to you. When you take a look at yourself and your imperfections and your weaknesses and you feel the shame that makes you want to hide, either hide from God or hide from other people, when you sense the, the weaknesses and the faults and the failings and the sin in your life that makes you want to keep a secret, because if people ever found out what you're really like, you don't think they'd continue to love you? That's shame, and shame does not come from God. Shame is the lying, exaggerating, accusing voice of the enemy of our souls. And when you feel shame that makes you want to hide from God, people, and yourself, you can know that this is not God talking to you. But listen, when there is sin, defects of whatever kind in our lives, that we become aware of, without having to dim the lights, but suddenly have that awareness of, yeah, that's true of me. If, if you can feel it like that, you can rest assured that that is the voice of God's Holy Spirit. We've, we've used this word historically, that the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin. And I don't like the word because conviction sounds like what happens when a criminal goes to jail. And that is not a good metaphor for what happens in our lives when God the Holy Spirit speaks to us about our sin. Get this, it couldn't be more different. Because when God the Holy Spirit speaks to you about your sin, you're about to get free, not to go into chains. Now, if you hide from him, 
You grab the sin and hold on to it, yeah, you're headed to bondage, but that's going to feel, that's going to feel like, like your own shame. But when God the Holy Spirit speaks to you about sin in your life, and you don't feel the need to run and hide, it's for a reason. It's because the conviction of God's Holy Spirit comes with the promise of freedom and deliverance afterwards. Let me tell you this too. I don't have time to tell you this, but I'm going to. When you experience shame, you can exchange that. You can exchange that shame for conviction for the work of God's Holy Spirit. If in the moment of your shame, when you feel like hiding, when you feel like keeping the secret a little bit longer, you instead turn and take that thing to God and bring it out into the light through confession, the shame can slip away and you can stand on the threshold of a new day of deliverance and freedom in Christ in which you can be forgiven of your sin and find strength to not repeat it. That's pretty good news. I don't have anything in my notes that says that, so I don't know where I'm going. Christianity is not just serving, it's also sanctification. And sanctification in its, in its most basic definition means simply this, I'm becoming like him. That's in verse 15, you saw that phrase, children of God. And, and children of God is, when, when that phrase is used in the Bible, it, it almost never means his genetic descendants because we're not genetic descendants of God. But that phrase, children of, whether it's children of God or of whoever else in scripture, while it, while it may tell a story about the family lineage, it's really describing the character of a person. That's why Jesus, who was 14 genera- 15 generations removed from King David, was referred to as son of David. Number one, because it was easier than saying great, 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 grandson of, of David. But I missed one. Yeah, there was only 13 great greats. Mm. Bummer. But he was known as the son of David because David was a mighty warrior and a virtuous ruler. And they wanted somebody who would be a mighty warrior and a virtuous ruler. And they were saying to Jesus, you're just like that guy. There's another guy in the New Testament. He's, uh, you, you know him as Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Paul's helper on his very first, actually Paul was the helper. Barnabas was the leader on the first missionary journey. And uh, Barnabas means son of encouragement. Doesn't mean that his dad's name was encouragement. It means that that guy was such an encourager that the people in his life, the early church there in Antioch said, it's like he's the the son of encouragement itself. If encouragement had a baby boy, it'd be Barnabas. Because everywhere he goes, people smile and people are built up in the faith. Verse 15 of chapter 2 of Philippians said that it is possible when when the Holy Spirit of God is doing his sanctifying work in our lives for us to become children of God. People who are so much like him that, that other folks start looking at us going, man, you're just like your old man. I've told this story before. I tell it with, I hope it's a holy pride. It's, it's certainly a gratitude I was raised by my mom and my stepdad. My stepdad, six foot four, blonde hair, blue eyes, 240 pounds. That's a big dude who looks nothing like me. His name was Cecil Miller. 
I would go to the feed store when I was a, a kid to pick up whatever for the farm. I'd walk in and they'd say, hey, there's that Miller boy. I never corrected him and changed the last name because I wanted them thinking I was the Miller boy. And one of the happiest days of my life prior to getting married and having my kids was the day that I walked in there and somebody said, you that Miller boy? Yes, sir. Man, you look like your dad. (laughs) Yeah, all 103 pounds of me at the time, right? With the same dark hair and dark eyes. I looked nothing, and to this day, look nothing like Cecil Miller. But I am a son of Cecil Miller. He was a man who gave himself wholeheartedly to God, who answered a call to preach the scriptures, and who lived and died a Christian, raised his family to do the same. I am a son of Cecil Miller, and I am a son of God, and you are sons and daughters of God. Sanctification is saying, I want to be more like my dad. Sanctification is saying, Holy Spirit, would you help me to be so much like the Father that people can't tell us apart? Holy Spirit, would, would you go to work on me in such a fashion and to such a degree that people see the family resemblance between me and my older brother Jesus and, and they just say, well, there's a strong family resemblance between that gal and her father? Let me ask you a question today. Would you like to be sanctified Would you like God to work in you so much, so consistently, so deeply, that people go, I I think she's more more Christian than she is American. I think think he's more, more Jesus and more God than he is Getman. Insert your last name here. Do you want it? Because if you want it, that is available to you today. See, transformation, becoming like him, it requires teamwork. It's never going to happen by you just saying, I'll try harder. It requires the, the indwelling presence and the ongoing work of God's Holy Spirit just as you invited, probably when, when you were young, uh, you invited, invited Jesus into your heart. That's kind of how we explain the beginnings of this relationship. Maybe you were an adult when somebody explained the gospel to you, and that still made sense. You're inviting Jesus into your heart. It's really not a bad description of how this thing works. But you can invite him again and again and again to come and do something in you. You can invite him to turn the searchlight on. You can invite him to turn the nightlight on. You can invite him to speak to you about things that have remained hidden from your view and your self-understanding. You can invite him to give you a new perspective on, on improvements that have already been made in your life. You can ask him to go deeper. You can ask him purify both your heart and your mind. You can invite 
the sanctifying work of God's Holy Spirit every day of your life. The good news is he never says no. So when you open yourself up to teamwork and you ask that team member, God's Holy Spirit, to come, you can count on this. All the days of you trying harder and failing are over. But you also have to know this. God doesn't zap people. I mean, I wish he did. I mean, frankly, God and I have talked about this a number of times. I think it would make him a better God. If, if I could just say, hey, zap me, and he zaps me, and now all of a sudden I'm just like him, and it's easy for me to say no to temptation and sin, and easy for me to be nice to all of you. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great if he zapped me, and every decision I made as a pastor was a good one? I asked, who wants to be sanctified? It's silence in here. I asked, who wants me to be sanctified? I get amens and attaboy. Yeah, okay, I see how it is. Hmm. Wouldn't it be great if God zapped us? If he zapped me? Yeah. Well, he doesn't. Instead, he prefers to work through relationship with me, and that means this. He's going to bring as we read, the power of the resurrection. That's what Lisa read. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Well, you can. He brings the power of the resurrection to bear on all of my weaknesses, faults, failures, sins, character defects. He does. And then he looks at me and says, and what are you going to do? Because transformation does take teamwork. It takes all the divine horsepower of God's Holy Spirit, of the divine trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can count on having those things made available to you in your life. But listen, brothers and sisters, we can't sit back and wait for God to make something of us that we are not willing to pursue ourselves. He's never going to make something of you that you don't really want to be. And so, if you want to be mediocre, he'll let you. He'll take all the power of the Godhead and put it right there on the shelf next to you. You want to be weak? He'll let you. He'll take all the power of the Godhead and put it right at your fingertips, and you don't have to touch it. But if you would like to become a person who does everything without complaining because their spirits have been trained by gratitude, if you'd like to become a person who does everything without arguing because you no longer want to get a win over your brother or sister, You just want to win a brother or sister over. If you'd like to become blameless and pure and without fault, if you'd like to be so transformed that other people go, that guy's shiny, and they're drawn toward the light, then you are going to have to get up off your backside 
You're going to have to lean into the work and take hold of what God offers to us. And you and God together are going to produce something transformative in your life. We're going to talk in weeks to come about verses 12 through 14 of chapter 3. I'm going to give you a little preview now, and I may waste a perfectly good sermon for later. Listen to this. Paul said, not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Do you see the teamwork? God lays hold of me, I lay hold of him. Or as we put it up here, God works in me, I've got to work it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he said. You know when I tremble the most? It's when I've worked at something so hard that, I'm, that you get to muscle failure. Go see Jeremy and their version of CrossFit. He'll give you trembly arms and legs on a regular basis, Okay. Strap on some shoes, go for a run until your, until your knees start to buckle. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God, he's already promised, works in us. Our job is to work out what God has done on the inside. Did you read it? I did. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Listen, God is, what Paul is saying here is that God can do a work in your life that changes your will. You always do what you want. You always do what you want. The work of God is to change your want to. The work of God is to change your want to. He can, he can so change the heart of human beings that instead of wanting the things that our flesh sinfully desires, we can want to be pure and blameless. God's part in this whole thing. He provides power and he changes our desires. Your part? Well, let it show. Let the work of God, what he's done in your spirit, show by doing something about it. Take what's on the inside and work it to the outside. God gives us, this is an important thing, God gives us power to obey, but God never overpowers our sin. Wrestle with that one a little bit. Um, Probably back up a slide or two, Luke. God gives us power to obey, but he never overpowers our sin. That's your job. Your job and mine is to take this, this power of God that he, has, that he has put on full display in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, in which he broke the power of sin, generally speaking, and you and I are to lay hold of it, and then with all of our might to press forward and to press into him and to begin to overpower the sin whose power has been broken that remains in our lives. How, it, God doesn't zap people, that's what I'm saying. He doesn't zap you and suddenly make, make obeying easy, but he makes obedience possible, and having broken the power of sin, he now puts the, all the power of, of the Godhead 
at your fingertips, accessible to you in your spirit and in your will. And he says, now go overpower the sin in your life. Stand strong in the face of temptation. Say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Sanctification is transformative teamwork. God bringing all the horsepower. God even working on your will. And you saying, I'm going to take what God's done on the inside and I'm going to work, work it up to the surface. I'm going to work it through to the outside. Let's see, two minutes left. If you'll read today, chapter 3, verses 3 through 10, read it with this in mind. Solo effort won't work. It takes effort to become like God, but your work alone is insufficient. So make sure that you get the team part of teamwork, okay? This is not God zaps me, it's a one-man job, it's God's job, he's going to make me holy. Neither is it a one-person job, your job. If you, just keep, if you just keep trying harder and promising God more, instead it is this divine, divine and human collaborative effort whereby the Spirit of God comes to live in and fill human beings, broken, faulty, sinful human beings like you and me who submit to his will, learn his ways, and begin to walk in them by the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us strength. And listen, it would not be right, it simply would not be right for me to, to preach this today and then say, go home and talk, about it. talk to God about it if you want to. The Church of the Nazarene comes from a tradition in which uh, we are taught to preach for decision. In other words, having heard what you've heard today, do you want that or don't you? And if you do, then I would encourage you to ask God right now, not tonight when you go to bed, but before we leave this building today, to invite his Holy Spirit to come and work in you at a level that he never has before, for you to give yourself wholly, totally and completely to the control of his Holy Spirit, promising that you will do what he empowers you to do as he provides his help. In so doing, your hearts and minds will be sanctified wholly. This is, um, this is a makeshift altar call. You with me? I don't have anybody over here to play songs that make you sad and weepy. I don't have another 15 minutes to keep up the pressure while you stand and your and your legs get tired and you're and you're distracted by the hope of lunch. So you finally give in and pray so the pastor will let you go home. I don't have the time to do it today. So how about I just invite you? And I still think that when it's physically possible, I still think that when it's physically possible, when I want to submit to God, that I do something with my body that indicates that. And it's why we still have altars in the Church of the Nazarene. It's so that you can 
kneel. It's a submissive act. We put them at the front of the church instead of right there attached to the seat in front of you because we also believe in the power of testimony. In, in saying, I step out into the aisle and I walk forward here in full view of the people who can guess my motives, probably inaccurately, but they'll guess some anyway. But at one level, I don't care what people think about what I'm doing today with God, and at another, I want them all to know that I'm saying one more yes to God. I'm one more time inviting him to come and work in my life. And uh, that being the case, I'm going to kneel at the altar today because I want him to continue to sanctify me through and through and through. I love being a, a guy who's a lot like his stepdad. And one day I want people to say, man, I've never seen God, but I've seen Cliff Purcell. And I hear they're a lot alike. And if God's anything like Cliff, then I want to know him. And I'm not there yet. And I don't think I magically will be by just continuing to breathe until I'm 78 or 98. I'm going to need... I'm going to need to ask him to come and one more time do his sanctifying work in my life. And if you want him to do that and it's physically possible, then I would invite you to come and kneel as well. So as we kneel before you today, Lord, Um, we're ready to confess our need for your sanctifying work. I mean, sometimes I probably kid myself about what a good guy I am, but it, and, and at other times I'm probably too hard on myself. But, and that's why I'm asking your Holy Spirit today to just call it what it is. And you've spoken to me all this week about some things in my life that it's, it's time to take a step forward. It's time to take a step away from. It's, it's time to release so that I can grab a hold of other things. And so today, in the presence of my congregation, my brothers and sisters, I confess my sin to you. And I invite you, I ask you, I beg of you to please come. Forgive me, cleanse me, change me. Fill me, sanctify me, make me like you. I want to be more like you at this day's end than when I woke up. I want to be more like you tomorrow than I am right now. I have tried and tried and tried. I don't know why I keep forgetting this lesson and relying on my own power, but... uh, Alongside the Apostle Paul today, I'm just going to count all of my efforts as rubbish. And I'm going to ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and give me the power and the will to go to work and becoming a man who is holy in all of his ways. Now I have brothers and sisters who are, are kneeling on both sides of me and 
and some who are seated behind me who are praying this very same prayer. Lord, look, you have a bunch of children who more and more and more want to be children of God like you in this world, not waiting for the next world to to be zapped and become like you. I want to be like you in this world that, that they might be people who live in such ways that it's like they're just holding a light out in the dark for the neighbors to be able to see how to come home. For each person who today is confessing their sin, I thank you that there's the promise of forgiveness and there's the promise of cleansing. Lord, hear and answer their prayers. For each person who today is asking you to do something that they don't even really understand, how can God come live inside of me? Would you just, would you do the thing that you described and that we never fully understand? Would you come and fill us? For the person who's having a hard time praying it today because they've promised you a million other times before they'd stop sin X or Y, I pray that you would help them as they now have come to the end of themselves and are ready to just collapse. I pray you'd bring all the power of your holiness to bear on the sin that has imprisoned them forever. And just as Jesus rose from the dead and broke the power of sin, hell, death, and the grave, I pray that you would you'd break that thing and its power over their lives today. You'd set them free. Some of us are struggling with the want to. The truth is, we like living like we do. We find that we're, we're fonder of our sin than we'd like to admit. They're asking you today, would you give me a new will, a new want to? Well, come on, God. Do it. You've got people who are surrendered to you. What might become of us? What kind of glory might you get if you did what your people ask of you today? What transformation might take place? What kind of glory might you get in this valley? What what benefit might there be to the people who don't yet know you if you just did what your people are asking you to do in them today? we take you up on your offer and call you on it at the same time. Please, Lord, do everything, everything that you've described in the scriptures as your will for us. I ask these things in your holy name. Amen. My friends, why don't you stand with me? There are... uh, there's some times when um, being a pastor is really awkward. Like, say, when you have sin to confess in front of the congregation. That's an awkward... It's, it's easier to do kneeling at the altar than it is standing with a few hundred eyes looking at you. But I want to thank you for being the kind of congregation that lets me be a human being. As long as I'll be a human being who's seeking the very things that I preach to you, right? Yeah. I thank you that I'm not seeking them alone. 
I talk to pastors who tell me they, they preach these things and they open the altars and nobody responds. But today there's just about as many people at the front as there are still in the seats and we kept saying when it's physically possible, when it's physically possible, I know what that means. For some people who say that my knees and my back don't work very good anymore but my heart's still tender. I just want to ask that we would continue to be a people who listen for the voice of God, who read the the scriptures of God, and follow the ways of God as his spirit enables us. Can we do that together? Good. Then so may we know the abiding presence, the continued peace, and the, the deepened holiness and sanctification of his Holy Spirit. Together God's people said, amen. Go in peace.